This podcast covers sensitive topics. Content warnings can be found in the description. Also, we talk about TV shows, so consider this your spoiler warning. Procedural generation. an untrue crime podcast where we talk about, rate, and goof on all the crime procedurals you've watched way too many times. As always, I'm your co-host, Daphne. I'm your co-host, Hank. Using our highly scientific evaluation system, we will weave our way through the dark back alleys and dirty crime scenes to definitively answer the questions. One, which crime procedural is the best? And two, how many spin-offs of popular procedurals are we willing to sift through? So far, we have our first number <laughs> for that second question. <laughs> yeah, so far the answer is one. It's one. We'll see when we revisit how far that'll go. Yeah. Overall on this podcast, what we do is we uh, watch three episodes of a TV show and use that to form our entire basis for the entire series. It's highly scientific and very involved. You wouldn't understand it if we told you about it, but uh, just rest assured that, that we know what we're doing and it, it makes total sense. Yeah, and it's not biased at all. Not biased at all. It's definitely not the, the second time in a row we've had a low episode that is definitely review bombed. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, so let's get into what we're um, talking about today. So last episode, we looked at Law and Order. So this time we decided, uh, let's keep going. Let's dive into the Law and Order franchise. The Law and Order cinematic universe, where they still sort of go off of the premise of cops and... Prosecutors. Prosecutors. I was thinking about saying robbers, but I couldn't think of anything funny enough in time. (laughs) So uh, we're tackling Law and Order Special Victims Unit, or better known as SVU. Which I did think at one point meant sexual violence unit, uh, (laughs) which is, to be fair, most of what the show is. (laughs) Exactly. It is the more successful uh, sister show to Law & Order, which, sorry Law & Order stands, but Law & Order did get canceled and SVU did not. Yeah, SVU persisted (laughs) through the Law & Order, the great Law & Order gap of like 10 years, was it? Yeah. So we gotta say it, SVU is more successful. Yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I genuinely can't tell you. But let's get into how SVU started, right? Okay. So as its name implies, SVU tackles primarily cases that involve vulnerable people, but also has a general focus on sexual or domestic violence. Did you say normal people? Vulnerable people. Vulnerable people. I'm sorry. I heard bar normal people. <laughs> <laughs> people who have passed the bar exam. Who the bar exam. And are relatively normal. Yeah. <laughs> Big trigger warning on this episode. Oh, yeah. Because... Oh boy, is it all messed up. (laughs) Yeah, all three of the episodes had to do with sexual violence. I hope that wouldn't be the case, but here we are. Yeah, Uh, we're deep in some very troubling circumstances. So big trigger warning for this. Uh, It gets pretty, pretty nasty pretty quick. Yeah, we're not going to go too in depth in the the worst of it, but you know. Yeah, we still have to talk about it though in order to give context for the show. Yes. Putting all that out there. The idea for the show came from the real-life 1986 Central Park Strangler case, in which a man allegedly strangled his girlfriend to death in Central Park during sex. It's pretty notable 
especially in 1986, pretty famous in the news at the time, because the man alleged that his girlfriend was sexually assaulting him and he strangled her in self-defense. So it made a lot of headlines from that perspective, because, I mean, even today people don't believe that men could be sexually assaulted. Oh, yeah. So that angle caused a lot of media frenzy. Another perspective of that was that it was also popular in the news because the girlfriend who was strangled to death um, had a sex diary, and that was submitted as evidence in court. Mm. So they read out her sex diary to the jury to paint her as promiscuous. Right. And I guess, therefore, deserving of being strangled. Yeah, I mean, the only thing to me that would sound beneficial to, to the defense's case in this case would be if, you know, there was some element of erotic asphyxiation involved in it, right? But that doesn't seem like just the fact that she had a sex diary is really good evidence. And I'm sure based on even the SVU episodes we saw that that's not the case. There was nothing in it about erotic asphyxiation, I assume. And it was just, you know, to paint a bad picture. Yeah. And so even now, it's still... The details are a little fuzzy. He was convicted. That happened. But the coverage around it was very odd. You know, a lot of bias in terms of who was the victim, and then a lot of, like, a lot of the angles didn't make sense. So, like, the the story that was originally told was very strange. The story painted by the defense was kind of strange, and the man's story was also kind of strange. So it's kind of unclear exactly what happened. Real staircase situation. Yeah. Uh, But that's also why it was kind of popular in the news. The SVU, I assume, is an actual department. It's not just a thing yes. you made up. Okay. Does that predate this case? I would assume it... so. Okay. Yeah. But Dick Wolf watched this case play out in real oh. time. Um, <laughs> oh, really? He was there. <laughs> and said, wow, what great TV this would make. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. Um, I read the Wikipedia page for it, which is where I got most of this information. And it was brutal. Like, absolutely brutal information. Yeah. I did not need to know about this case. Absolutely devastating stuff. So, so I don't know what Dick Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Dick Wolf. I'm sorry. We didn't. We. I don't think I had this problem in our Law and Order episodes. The same creator, but regardless, Dick Wolf is a very funny name, and I'd like to put that out there. I'd like to put that on the record, Your Honor. Real quick, you can either edit this out or edit it back in, Daphne. But uh, Dick Wolf, that's an Omegaverse character, right? <laughs> No, that's Alpha Wolf. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah, so Dick Wolf saw this play out, really depressing, depraved stuff, and said, wow, what great TV. Uh, and then yeah. he wrote this season one episode of Law & Order called Kiss the Girls and Make Them Die. Oh. And apparently, he was right, sadly. Yeah. This is a very popular procedural. <laughs> and he had such a great time, he decided to make SVU. Yeah. Which launched in 1999. So, like, more than ten years afterwards. But it was based off of the success of kiss the girls and make them die as an episode and his interest in exploring human sexuality and its impact on crimes. Well, it certainly does that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> so it's pretty dark stuff. Yeah. It's like, it's dark enough that it feels weird to make a lot of jokes about it. You yeah. Know? So. yeah. But over the course of its 24 seasons, it's had a pretty stable trajectory versus Law and Order, which of course, as we know, was canceled for about 12 years. Yeah. It didn't have any significant network drama, like Law & Order did as far as I could find, though there's been some cash shenanigans in terms of like promoting, demoting, and firing people that the network yeah. thought were performing better or worse or, or whatever. Something I thought was really funny 
was that in 2011, a recurring cast member that had been present since 2002, Joel De La Fuente, was not brought back specifically for being, quote-unquote, too dry. Which is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> in Yes. 12 years after the show started? Yeah. He was in the show for fully nine years as a recurring cast member before he was not brought back for being too dry. All right. <laughs> we actually saw this guy. Oh, okay. He is I... the person who's a technician in the 911 episode. Oh, that, that guy? Yeah. I didn't even think he was a regular. Yeah, apparently <laughs> he, he's a regular. He had big extra energy to me because he was brought in to help with a technical issue. And, and also, was... like, I thought that he, I liked him as a character. I didn't think he was dry or I thought anything. he introduced himself to, to uh, the main character. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> but he's a reoccurring character. He was subsequently replaced with someone. I would like you to guess who that person is. So it's not B.D. Wong. I was really hoping that B.D. Wong would be in one of these episodes because I'm a fan of Mr. Robot and other properties that B.D. Wong has been in. And I wanted to see him in Law and Order. Unfortunately, despite the fact that two seasons we watched have B.D. Wong in them, he was in neither of those episodes. <laughs> and I know that's not the... I just wanted to throw that out there. But I'm still going to say B.D. Wong. <laughs> <laughs> no. I okay. will say a hint is Joel de la Fuente was too dry. So who do you think would liven up? The SBU cast. Well, I mean, Ice-T was already on it, so it yes. can't be Ice-T. Mm -hmm. Even though Ice-T is a joy, even if his line delivery is so fun and yeah. interesting, to say the least. I would say that, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, you know you know who would be good? Like a Kristen Schaal or a um, Sarah Silverman would probably really you like You're honestly it. not, like, too far off. Okay. In the realm that you're in. Got you. But think, I, I'm imagining a comedian. Yeah, think New York. I mean, it's not John Mulaney as much as no. that would be funny. That would be funny. Someone famous, potentially, <laughs> for their strong New York accent? I'm going to do a strong callback here and say Rudy Giuliani. <laughs> oh my god, it no, was Rudy you, Giuliani. Is it, the, is it the, um, the Staten Island guy? The Joseph Gordon-Levitt detective? No. No? Okay, well, he's great. I loved him, so. <laughs> 2015. I think he's still on it, based on what I saw on IMDb. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. It's uh, Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried. How long did they have Gilbert Gottfried on the TV show? Well, he was actually only in two episodes. Oh, okay. But So it didn't go well. <laughs> well, uh, apparently he was invited back anytime. Oh, okay. But he just only ended up being in two episodes. The idea is hilarious to me. They're like, imagine you've been fired, right? From a show that you've been on for like 10 years. For essentially not being funny. And you're watching SVU and you're like, oh my god. That's Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> and then you're like, wait a second. They replaced me with <laughs> Gilbert Godfrey. <laughs> just for a little bit, though. Yeah, just for a little bit. So I thought that that was very funny. Yeah. Though, so, like, they, it's not like he plays the same character, right. right? I'm not even clear what role he played. <laughs> Is he a talking parrot? <laughs> <laughs> I just think the idea that it's like, oh, this guy's too dry. Hmm, who should we get on the show? To be an extra instead. <sighs> Gotta be Gilbert. Yeah. Not, not even an extra. <laughs> yeah, not even um, an extra. Yeah, so like a lot order, I've never seen an episode of SVU before. I, I kind of had at a bar in Wisconsin uh, when we went on a vacation there. And it was everything that I imagined it would be, which is to say I could only read subtitles briefly during part of it. And, you know, it wasn't very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I felt about the same about Law & Order SVU as I did about Law & Order. Yeah. But I also found it to be more stressful. Yeah, for sure. The writing surrounding the sexual assault cases is 
aged at best, which makes it a little bit difficult to watch because you're just like, oh boy. <laughs> like, post-2017, Law & Order is probably a much different show because it's not just like, you mean you had one sip of beer the night that you were sexually assaulted and you didn't tell us that? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's... Bizarre. Bizarre. It's absolutely bizarre. I mean, I get it, right? Because that is how the legal system, unfortunately, works. Yeah. But it's always stressed me out. The yeah. concept of watching a TV show that's essentially whole deal is like, want to watch a bunch of uh, sexual assault and child crime cases? Yeah. Always unpleasant. Yeah. So before we talk about the episode that we watched... What were your general overall rating for Law & Order SVU? So I haven't really come up with a numeric rating right now, but my general review is written, uh, so I'll just go ahead and overview that, I guess. Uh, it's very grim and intense. If sexual assault and other heavy themes are too much, including some child abuse and child sexual abuse, then this show is not for you. It's very little to offer beyond that. I don't know why this is the most popular procedural, like, or at least ongoing, if you average it out over time, right? And I don't know why it's still so strong, other than the fact that the showrunners of Law & Order shows clearly just want to make it for as long as humanly possible. Yeah, Dick Wolf is uh, an energy vampire. Yeah, and a you know, real alpha energy <laughs> vampire. <laughs> He's draining the, the energy from our souls to become immortal. <laughs> draining the energy from 55-year-old... Um, moms in order to, to become immortal. I said that at its best, it felt like a professional high-budget thriller. Probably one that would star like Halle Berry or something. But at its worst, it just felt like torture porn. Yeah, quote-unquote best episode that we watched definitely had like elements of, like, oh, this could be drawn out into a very well-written... Like full-length movie. Yeah, full-length movie. And it felt very cinematic when we were watching it, too. Um, I don't have a lot of notes at it about it because of how intense it was. Yeah. That being said, there's also... It's got some lows, as we saw with the, with the middle episode that we watched. Yeah. Uh, so I gave it a 7 out of 10 because I thought that it was better than Law & Order. Just from, like, a story and production standpoint. I thought that it was entertaining, but at the same time, I don't feel like I could binge watch it. Like, yeah. it was really difficult to sit through those three episodes because they were so dark. Yeah. Um, I definitely wouldn't have lasted that long if we weren't specifically yeah. reviewing it and specifically watching three no, episodes. No, 100%. Um, I, I, would, I would agree with that. And I, I think Seven is the right place to put it because obviously a really good show with some pretty good acting... Munch, my favorite. My boy. My re the real boy. <laughs> Gone too soon. <laughs> it's enjoyable, but also the themes. I just don't really want to spend my time engaged in that world, right? Yeah. Definitely better than Law & Order. More entertaining, but also, like, really difficult to stomach at times. Yeah. Uh, so definitely 7 out of 10, but you wouldn't find me binge-watching the entirety of SBU. So to get out of this dark pit of despair that we've let's have some fun and got games. ourselves into, let's talk about trivia. Now, awesome. as you may recall, Hank currently has two, two points. points. A whole two points. A whole two points. We're very proud of him for that. Mm -hmm. Let me double check my notes. Hang on, hang on, somewhere in here. I have three points. You have That's three right. points. Sorry, Sorry, I got I got two in the That's right. In the episodes because past Daphne was not very good at coming up with fake episodes. Wow. <laughs> no, they just stood out based yeah. on the other ones. I think I did a really good job of learning. Mm -hmm. truly what it is to be in law, a Law & Order episode and was able to see through the facade. You're so. like uh, an artificial intelligence for coming up with uh, oh the prompts to Law & Order episodes. Yeah, I'm chat SVU. <laughs> <laughs> All 
All right. So with that in mind, hit me with some trivia. Sounds good. Richard Belzer has played Detective John Munch, John Munch in seven TV shows. And the character was used in another show where he was voiced by someone else. Can you name any of them? I can because I saw it on IMDb and I actually remember this is why I'm familiar with him. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's another very famous NBC show that I've seen all of, which is 30 Rock. He was he appeared on 30 Rock. He did not appear on 30 Rock. He did appear on 30 Rock as himself playing Detective Munch. I will return a point to you because I did just look it up and you're correct that my list is not finished. Yeah. He was in fact in 30 Rock yep. as himself. Yep. So He was himself as John Munch because they do a lot of jokes yeah. cutaways. I'll of count like it. I'll count that. Tracy Morgan playing somebody inside of, or Tracy Jordan I suppose in the lore <laughs> of that show, playing someone in so, inside of Law and Order or whatever. So thank you. I appreciate kind of, even though it's technically cheating because I already saw that because yeah. I was following his quest through Law and Order SVU. Uh, how about Grey's Anatomy? That doesn't make any sense. He would have to be on the other side of the country for that. But I'm going to... I've seen no Grey's Anatomy. I just know that it's a Seattle show. He's not in Grey's not Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy. How about House? Incorrect. Dang. Some of these are very uh, weird. Yeah. Hmm. You've seen... One's going to be a gimme. Um, and you've seen four of these other ones. I don't know if I can do this, honestly. I'm going to say Chuck, because that's the right era. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good guess, but no. Okay. Oh, sorry. Uh, it's also you... NBC, I believe, so. Good yeah. On, good on me for I'm gonna give, yeah, that's a, That's going to be a patented Hank Pat in the back. <laughs> I also believe it's nine TV shows. Uh, like okay. I said uh, previously, this was taken from IMDb, but it's outdated, and I've discovered two more that aren't on this list. Okay. So one was uh, 30 Rock, but this, there's another The Simpsons one. is a good bet, usually. Um, Very good guess, but not. Really? Correct. Maybe Family Guy, then? You're in the correct vein. American Dad. Yep. Okay. He's <laughs> well, he plays detective in American Dad, but okay. I'll count that. Okay. Again, once again, that, not yeah. on the list. That's a bonus one. Okay. We'll give you half point half for both. Point for so both. you so get four. All right. We can. I've gotten my point. I'm gonna. I'm gonna get out of this. I'm tapping out. Go ahead and give me the list. Homicide: Life on the Street. I've never heard of that before. Which is uh, a very. It's a show that's very related to Law and Order. Yeah. Uh, vaguely in the Law and Order universe. Right. The Orderverse. The Orderverse. Law and Order. X-Files. Oh, okay. The, sure. <laughs> yeah. The Beat, which I don't expect I don't you to have heard of. Uh, Law and Order, Trial by Jury. Well, should have remembered my spinoff list exactly. from last episode. What are you doing? Arrested Development. I, I can vaguely bring that to mind, but it's very, I think it's a very similar vein to 30 Rock in terms of like a joke bit. Probably. Aside. The Wire. Oh, okay. So, so hang on a second. Do, do, do. He plays John Munch in The Wire? Yeah. Okay, so I guess Omar has a twin brother, because Omar also appeared in that Law & Order episode <laughs> that we just watched. A lot of the people who play um, like smaller roles in Law & Order are in it multiple times as different people. So That happened like two times in, with side characters, and it bothered me so much, because they just don't address it. And it's yeah. like... It'd be fine. I, I don't I don't know. How would you like them to address it? I don't know. Don't <laughs> hire that person again. <laughs> You're, they, you'll never work in this town again. They'll never work on the show that they're already a character in lore. The other one that was on the list uh, was Sesame Street. Okay. Which well. is the one in which... <laughs> the one in which Big Bird... <laughs> I'm not going to finish that joke. <laughs> um, in Sesame Street, it's not Richard Belzer that plays him, but oh, okay. Detective John Munch. Is, is, a, is, a is a character in it. He probably. That would be I very, can only assume. No offense to Richard Belzer, he's got some Muppet energy to him. So. <laughs> and then the last one that wasn't on this list originally was Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Oh, okay. 
Interesting. Which kind of makes sense because, you know, 30 Rock, yeah. the rest development. Yeah. Also, the underlying sexual violence at the base of Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt that they <laughs> refuse to acknowledge, and then when they do, they do it really weirdly and uncomfortably. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> so, uh, we'll give call that one point. One point. Uh, I'll take it. <laughs> Four points. I'm running away with this. What 2015 music video was Mariska Hargitay, the woman who plays Detective Benson, in? Alright, 2015. I can literally only think of one song that I know of from 2015, and the name is currently failing me right now. Who's it by? Um, it's also failing me. <laughs> What's... Oh, Shut Up and Dance. That's my guess. I don't think that's correct, because I'm pretty sure the woman in that music video is pretty similar in age to the singer. My um, hint to you would be that, imagine... Desposito. <laughs> it's not Desposito. Imagine um, a singer who likes to have star-studded music videos, and has a vibe for female empowerment. Halsey. It's not Halsey. Well, Ariana Grande. Not Ariana Grande. We're in a semi-correct vein. Janelle Monáe. No. Um, I don't know. I think I have to Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. So what music video that's a vibe of female empowerment could Mariska Hargitay be in? For 2015. 2015. Uh, Famously has a lot of famous women in it. It's not the one, it's not the, it's not R.E.M.'s, it's the end of the world as we know it, is it? I, I it's don't bad know. blood. Bad blood? Okay. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm, I'm not the, the biggest Swifty here. I don't, I don't really know a lot of Swifts, unfortunately, but darn it. All right. <laughs> okay. So what state was Law & Order SVU filmed in until 2010? Now, okay. if you think about so. this, this is a very funny question because I'll tell you what happened after 2010. Can you remember what happened in 2010? Can I remember? Well, in 2010, Law and Order was canceled. Yes. So that makes me think that the answer is either Law and Order also wasn't filmed in New York, and then they moved, but and then they ended up filming in New York. So I'll say New York, and then it moved production elsewhere. No. No. The other way. The other around. way around. That, that's what I was thinking. Thought you were be getting at. It is really funny that Law and Order SVU took over Law and Order Studio after Law and Order got yeah. canceled. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> um, Atlanta, maybe. For the Georgia production, or no? No. Is it East Coast or West Coast? East Coast. <laughs> well, little uh, the little dials turned in your head for a split second there. <laughs> yeah. An e- another East Coast city. I mean, state. State. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, I'll go with I'll go with a healthy Connecticut. <laughs> New Jersey. Oh, okay. Well, that's not that's <laughs> not that big of a deal. That would have been easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I should. I thought it would be more interesting than that. Sorry. <laughs> well, I just thought it was interesting that for a show that's all about New York that. The first 10 seasons were filmed in New Jersey. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. And I also thought it was really funny that they took over Law & Order's old film studio. Which actor, who went on to be the lead for both CSI New York and Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, was the first choice to play Detective Stabler? Detective Stabler, who I know is a man, so that's mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah. Because that is Christopher Maloney, who I'll have a little bit to talk about in, my, in one of my episode reviews. Detective Stabler, you said... Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. Right? And CSI New York. CSI New York. I don't know anything about CSI because I still have done my research for our next few episodes. <laughs> but for CSI New York, I'm going to go and, and Criminal Minds Beyond Borders. This is a very well-known man. A very well-known man. Um, He's been in quite a few movies. Okay. Uh, Christopher Maloney. <laughs> he was their first pick and they got him. Uh, oh boy. Also known for his philanthropy. Elon Musk. Oh my god, how did you get it? <laughs> Just the Wario sketch, but drawn out over the whole uh, uh, whole 20 seasons. Oh, Robert Downey Jr. 
No. <laughs> weirdly enough, it's not Robert Downey. Yeah, weirdly enough, not Robert Downey Jr. For when Christopher Maloney was hired in, what, 1998? They, they didn't consider him for whatever reason. I don't know of many... He's in Forrest Gump. He's in Forrest Gump? Oh, I can't remember his name. Is that about Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan? Yeah, it's Lu- oh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dan. Dan. I can't remember his name. I feel Gary bad. Sinise. Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise. Sinise, I think. You know, he's not going to listen to this, so we can say whatever we want. If you are listening, Gary, we're so sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Gary Sinise. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but Gary Sinise, Sinise. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He is known. He is known for his form. You're right. Yeah, I apologize, Gary. But yeah, I yeah, I thought it was really cool because <laughs> I don't know why I'm apologizing. I didn't say anything bad. I yeah, just couldn't think of anybody who was known for their philanthropy and acting. Um, but I thought it was really funny because I did not know that he was the lead for Criminal Minds Beyond Borders, and I had to look it up to double check because I was like, really? But I've seen quite a bit of CSI New York, and so I was like. When I saw Forrest Gump, my first thought was, hey, it's that guy from CSI New York. He's, <laughs> he's deep in that character in Forrest Gump, usually. <laughs> I believe he's a pretty, uh, he actively posts on Reddit when, like, his charity reaches milestones and stuff to thank the community. Oh, I, think, that's I cool. believe. Yeah, he seems like a pretty, yeah, cool, he seems guy. Like a yeah, pretty cool guy. Yeah, pretty cool guy. <laughs> but I thought it was cool that he was the first choice to play Detective Stedley. Yeah. I thought that was interesting. Um, and I also thought it was funny that he ended up saying no so he could go star in CSI New York. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, screw this. This is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I want to be in the Zoom and Enhance show. <laughs> you said that I love CSI so much. Um, I've barely seen any. Uh, my final trivia question. Yep. You currently have what? Four uh, I've, got, I've gotten one of these, so I have four points right now. Yes. What was the original proposed title for Law & Order SVU? So can you, can you get some of the other, other spinoffs so I can get a vibe check? I don't think that would be okay. helpful. Law & Order. Butts and guts. <laughs> That's Cigarette funny. butts. Come on, guys. Um, I think that you've actually said this phrase while we've been recording. Tonight? Tonight, yes. Sexual violence unit? Too much. I said this phrase? Yeah. Law and order. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. This one's too dark. <laughs> law, law and order. This one's intense. <laughs> it's law and order sex crimes. Sex crimes? Oh, okay. I don't know if I said sex <laughs> Daphne Edison, Hank saying sex crimes earlier. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. Can we get that one more time uh, so you can? I have it isolated so I can edit it in. No, you can't edit it in from me <laughs> saying. You have to actually go back and see if I said it and edit it in here. Otherwise, this whole bit has to get cut out. I'm peeking the waveform right now. Let's move on. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix it in post. Damn it. <laughs> we'll do it live. Once again, Wikipedia. <laughs> it said. That the, it seemed like the whole name of the show was Sex Crimes. Not Law and Order Sex Crimes, just Sex Crimes. Thanks. Which I guess is, as the positive. first spinoff, they have naming rights to determine how they're going to name them. But also, like, that'd be really weird and intense. I don't know. Yeah. Well, the studio was like, mm, no, no thank we're you. not going to do that. <laughs> I, I wonder why. <laughs> yeah, that was a very, uh, very weird thing. <laughs> That's the trivia. You have a grand total of four points. Oh, yeah. I re- reaped in a whole one point from that. <laughs> Uh, so I think now it's time to move on okay. to talking about the episodes that we watched. All right. As always, we watched the median best yep. and worst episode, according to IMDb. Yep. Not in that order. Yeah, not Medi- in that Median order. worst best is our, is our current order. We'll, it seems to be working out for us all right. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about those episodes and what we thought of them. Sure. Get into how they yeah. constructed our opinion of the show as a whole. Alright, so the first episode we watched was the median rated one from IMDb, uh, which is also the most likely to change as soon as more episodes of SVU come out. <laughs> um, this one was interesting because it wasn't just sort of a generic crime one, it like actually had some emotional stakes put into it. Um, it also had two plots, which is pretty 
which I kept expecting them to converge. They didn't. It was just it had two plots, basically one for the one for the police to do and one for the um, prosecutors to do, which I wouldn't say worked very well. But you know, that's just me. Um, the A plot, I guess, essentially. What is the episode called? Sorry, the episode's called Turmoil, season eleven, episode eight. Uh, it has you. an 8.1 out of 10. 8.1 out of 10. On IMDb. That's which is pretty really, high. Yeah, it's really yeah, high. Yeah, that's really high. I, I Honestly, if you had told me that was the rating of the best episode, that would not have surprised the me. The show as a whole has an 8.1 out of 10 rating. Uh, okay, cool. There you go. I mean, checks out. Median, also the mean. Assuming that's how IMDb does it. But um, All right. So the A plot is about Detective Stabler, who, as we said, played by Christopher Maloney. He's in White Hot American Summer. He's the cook gene, which is what I know him from mainly. Um, his son goes missing along with his recovering addict friend Shane from school after getting into a fight. The B plot, the much weirder of the two plots, oddly enough, because they're both kind of weird, is about an ADA uh, being threatened with a bar investigation while actively pursuing charges against a rapist. The mechanics of which I don't think make a whole lot of sense, but we'll get into that. The A plot, we have Dickie Stabler, Detective Stabler's son, who's about 17, 16, 16, 16 I think. yeah. yeah. Uh, his friend is a recovering addict because they're all rich private school kids. Basically, they go missing from school. His friend is then caught on camera using Dickie's bank card, apparently under duress. Uh, they also keep assuming the worst of Shane, his friend, even though he doesn't really have a reason to and is a kid. After that, they find Dickie finally beating the shit out of a homeless man with a 2 by 4 <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, rough. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty wild. Dickie then... Goes on a tantrum because he is mad that his dad isn't looking for Shane, even though his dad is looking for Shane and technically in trouble for doing so, kind of, because his son was involved. Eventually, Shane's body turns up, and it turns out the homeless man that Dickie was beating up with a 2x4 stabbed Shane to death and is the person that had him try to take money out of Dickie's account. Uh, Dickie wants to go into the military, tries to get Stabler to sign a release form. Stabler refuses. They cry. That's the end of their the plot. End. Yeah, the end of their plot, literally. The B-plot is the prosecutor, who is the ADA, is in pretrial for a rapist who drugged and assaulted a woman at a college party. It was a high school party. Was it a high school party? Yeah, it was a high school party. No, she goes to school with Dickie. Oh, okay. I didn't know she went to school with Dickie. Yeah, that's why they had the topless photos. Right, yeah, yeah. So the way these plots are linked is literally determined in the first two minutes, which is essentially disregarded until it's convenient for the B-plot to pick up, which is that photos were viraled from across their private school of this uh, girl topless at a party prior to the party where she was assaulted at, which becomes important for the B-plot. The defense at the pretrial makes some comments about the ADA ignoring the vi- the victim's recant, and then the judge is like, you gotta get your shit straight, ADA. And they never really cover, like, the procedure that they went into to get that recant. She's just threatened with a bar investigation over it. Yeah. But she to- is actively being investigated by the bar. Yeah, yeah. Her boss is angry with her, and she's angry with the police because they didn't tell her about the recant, and they don't know anything about it. And I'm just left wondering, how does this work that they're just the defense is just able to claim something and then threaten the ADA's career? Yeah. And it turns out they have a surprise witness who's being tampered with by the... Football player. The football player, the... Um, defendant. Plaintiff, or defendant, yeah, thank you. Not plaintiff, that's a lawsuit. Uh, eventually, they find, they find out about the pictures. The victim comes clean about partying. <laughs> Yeah. And that was a separate party. Being a woman um, who parties. <laughs> and mentions being drugged at that separate party as yeah. well. And which is also like, why didn't you mention that part yeah. too? Like, I get it. I get it. You know, being a woman at parties, bad look for your rape case, I guess. But also, you know, it sucks. It just sucks. Yeah. The whole thing sucks. Yeah, because she's like also like 16. <laughs> yeah. 
And so part of it's like crazy because it's her case is hurt by the fact that she got roofied at a previous party that the football yep. player also hosted. Yep. And it's like, wouldn't that help her case? <laughs> yeah. The ADA is basically pressured into dropping the charges because of this nebulous, vague threat of disbarment, which sort of feels like it's illegal, maybe, because they're just not and they're not entering anything into evidence about this. They're just saying they have a witness who will who will testify about a recant and the ADA done messed up, but there's no evidence to support that. So I don't understand yeah. what the what the threat is in this. So like I said, the ADA drops the charges. Uh, victim attempts to take her own life, and then the ADA refiles the charges, and then the episode ends. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, we're gonna get you this time, I guess, for whatever reason. Yeah. I, d- I don't even know, man. It felt very undercooked to me. I was kind of unimpressed with this median episode. Yeah, my mouth was agape the whole time, because I was in utter shock by how terrible everyone in the episode was at their job. Yeah, I mean, at least there weren't any more repeats of the worst P.I. ever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Stalking people from five feet away. I just, I, I don't really have a lot to say about this one. It, The A-plot was uninteresting, and then at the end, Ice-T beats the crap out of the, a, homeless a homeless man, while the homeless man grins about having stabbed Shane, uh, Dickie's friend, because he had money and he wouldn't give it to him. And it's just like, just like, this man is unwell. Yeah. And... Now there's a, a kid dead. That kid's mom is weird and mean, but also, you know, her son is dead. Uh, and that was it. That was all there was to it. Yeah, I thought that it was really odd from, like, Dickie perspective, because Dickie was so mad at his dad really the mad. whole time. Yeah. And I gotta give it, I freaking hated Dickie, which, I, like, yeah. that actor did a hell of a job. He did a great job. Like, yeah. an amazing actor, because I was like, Dickie, oh. what is wrong with you? <laughs> The detective stapler assaults his son in the police station at one point. That was wild. He just, like, picks him up by the collar and slams him against a wall. It's like, you can't do child abuse at a police station. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Or maybe that's the best place to do it if you're a police if you're officer. A cop. Yeah. <laughs> I think if you're a cop, the best place to do it is at home. You... <laughs> anyway. <laughs> but it was very odd because Dickie was so mad at his dad for, quote-unquote, not trying to find Shane. But yep. the whole episode, he's trying to he's find trying Shane. To find Shane. And even when he's like, Dickie, you had to tell me what was going on so I can find Shane. Dickie says, no. You're not going to use it to try to find Shane. <laughs> and it's like, Dickie, what are you doing? No, I wouldn't be. And then it's, it's like, like an emotional 16-year-old yeah. who doesn't like his family. And, and is worried about his friend. Yeah. There is all, there's also a very funny moment earlier. Or I found this funny in the episode where Detective Stabler is first told that his son went missing from school, and his first reaction is to ask, who, Elliot? No, Dickie. And then just kind of like the, he has a, he has a son named after, Bolton, named after himself, who he also asks about first when he hears that he's gone missing from school. <laughs> Which is like, his other son's like 10. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> like, oh boy, I wonder why Dickie doesn't like you very much, Elliot. <laughs> I also like something else that's really funny about this episode is so law and order might be propaganda. It's definitely not army propaganda. <laughs> oh yeah. They freaking hate the army. The army recruiter was a bastard. <laughs> they spoke to him for two minutes and I loathe that guy. And they were really rude to the army which hey, yeah. I agree. Army <laughs> recruiters should not be at high schools. Yes. And that was, like, where it came into play because both Dickie and Shane wanted to get into the army to, like, get a new start on life. Yeah. And their parents were both like, no. (laughs) And so I thought it was really funny that the show was really going hard on the army recruiters. Yeah. Because it was like, you're, you know, using my son and uh, they're in a vulnerable state. Yeah. And it's like. Which is 
True. Yeah, which is true. One hundred percent true. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. It's like you're selling my son a lie so you can use him in your foreign yeah. economic wars. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that is true. <laughs> Let's maybe have some more introspection on you beating your son in a police station yeah. now. <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. <laughs> they also don't like SWAT very much, as we'll get into in the next episode. <laughs> yeah. Throughout the episode, I was just struck by how terrible everyone was at their job. They're really bad. Uh, the, their captain gets suspended because Stabler's on the case that his son is involved with, I think. Yeah. Which leaves my boy Munch in charge. Woo woo. Who is a treasure. Munch is amazing. Great character. Unhinges his jaw, swallows Detective Stabler full. <laughs> <laughs> no, but then, like, Stabler continues to work the case. Yeah, he does. <laughs> it's very strange. And it's like the whole time they're like, the ADA is like, this is an ethics violation. And us, yeah. the viewers, are like, yeah, this is an ethics violation. And then, like, Stapler's like, this is an ethics violation. And they keep doing it anyway. Yeah. I think that's pretty much wraps up for that, for the median yeah. episode. So I was unimpressed with the median episode. For sure. It was very bizarre. It was so fast-paced. All right. Shall we get into it? Yeah. The, Inti- the Intimidation Game. The worst rated episode on IMDb is The Intimidation Game, which is from Season 16, Episode 14. It's rated a whopping 4.3 almost half out of 10 <laughs> on IMDb. And it oh. is the Gamergate episode. Yep. We tackled QAnon. <laughs> Scroll back to a simpler time when all we all our Law & Order had to tackle was, was Gamergate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So, for those who don't know, Gamergate was primarily active in 2014, 2015. Yeah. And it ruined America. And it ruined America. Uh, I mean... <laughs> it did ruin it America. It did ruin America. The general concept was that a bunch of women... Like, Sorry, real quick. America was messed up before then. Gamergate, huge death knell, though. Continue. Yeah. The main premise of Gamergate is that um, within the gaming community, a bunch of gaming journalists and video game developers who were women... There's really any women in the space that was, like, semi-famous was repeatedly doxxed, sent death, and rape threats for theoretically um, sleeping their way into the industry. This was pretty widespread, um, and, you know, gamers have a reputation still, right, for this pretty misogynistic and problematic behavior. But in specifically 2014 and 2015, there are a couple of key people that it focused on. That uh, it was a reaction to "quote unquote" political correctness ruining games, and so they took the this ire out. I should say, a vocal part of the gaming community took this ire out on just random women who happened to be in the industry. Look, all us twenty fourteen neckbeard gamers wanted was a return to simpler times of non political games like Bioshock or <laughs> Wolfenstein. <laughs> Why can't we return to those times? Return to those times. Those apolitical gems. Back when games were as good as Civ V with the Brave New World expansion. <laughs> That's what Gamergate is. So yeah. this is the Gamergate episode. Came out in 2015. So it's, you know, bleeding edge of politic. Yeah. No, so this was really um, topical at the time, right? Because Gamergate wasn't just a phenomenon in the gaming community. It kind of leaked into mainstream media. And I will say that it's... Not in the past, you know. The repercussions of Gamergate still affect the gaming community to this day. But the general premise of this episode, other than being the Gamergate episode, is there's a woman video game developer whose name is Raina Punjabi, and she's harassed and threatened by a group of misogynistic cyber terrorists over the release of her new game. Uh, At the release party, she gets kidnapped and then is subsequently tortured and raped on livestream. 
Um, and the episode ends in a standoff where the team saves Reyna and arrests and or kills the cyber terrorists. So that's like a big overarching uh, perspective of the episode. It's pretty obvious from watching the episode and from the pretty rough reviews on the IMDb page yeah. that this was, um, it is the lowest rated episode because of um, brigading, just general trolls. And it's honestly, as a woman who is in, you know, does a lot in the, the video game sphere, it was pretty devastating. Uh, I mean, like I do some gaming journalism, play a lot of games. Um, I don't like online games for the most part because of the incredibly toxic communities. And so watching this was difficult from that perspective. Uh, and then also like reading the reviews of all the people that are like, this is unrealistic and doesn't happen was also troubling. Because, it, you know, stuff like this does happen on less, you know, extreme scales. Sorry, I just envisioned my head while you were saying that the um, Giancarlo Esposito meme where with the suit, which is, you don't like online games because you're a woman and get treated like shit in online lobbies. I don't like online games because I suck at them. <laughs> we are not the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Really off the bat, it was a pretty troubling episode. Yeah. Funnily enough, Logan Paul yep. is the the villain of the episode. I, so the, the episode starts in a gaming convention, and so there's a lot of background characters. I had to pause and rewind because, like, is that Logan Paul? <laughs> the answer was yes. Yes. This is, like, his fourth credit on IMDb. <laughs> Very funny. Yeah. And I, I did see as a note that apparently this episode was semi-marketed on Vine because of Logan Paul's status as a Vine star at the time. Yeah. Which is doubly weird that he plays like an incel gamer I, who tortures and kidnaps a woman yeah. <laughs> on live stream. I was kind of surprised. I don't know. My, my I don't really engage a lot in the Logan Paul, the Paul sphere. Um, but at least with, with Jake Paul, I get the vibe that some of the surrounding elements at the very least of him have some problematic uh, internet under, underlying tendencies, which, you know, generally online behavior is associated with another. But yeah. So Ice-T acts as the game's translator. Uh, translate terms such as noob. I forget what other terms. Um, he also has an amazing line at FPS. one point. FPS. But he also has a terrific line at one point. Delivered in all of the cadence that you'd expect Ice-T to be able to deliver such a ridiculous line. I got this. Better than Civ Five with the Brave New World expansion pack. <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good Ice-T impression. I will say I feel about this the same way I feel about... The free speech episode from Law and Order. Yeah, and that I feel it's like fine. It, I thought it was it was fine. Um, I honestly I liked it better than the Median episode, but I once again felt like it handled a serious topic in a strange way. Like the use of the gaming lingo seemed equivalent to the Tom Hanks D and D movie uh, called Mazes and Monsters, in which uh, he plays. Someone who can no longer differentiate real life from Dungeons and Dragons and subsequently murders his friend and then almost jumps off the building. Does he kill his friend in that? Yeah, he does kill his friend in that. Wild. But in it, they, like, use a lot of D&D lingo, like, incorrectly and very, like, uh, cheesily. I felt that this episode did the same thing. So, like, at one point, a woman has, like, a precursor set up, gets assaulted in a bathroom at this convention. Yeah. And... She tells the police officers that the gamers who attacked her leveled up, which is absolutely bizarre. Yeah, I wasn't sure if she was referring to because they touched her breasts intentionally during the assault, or if she was referring to, like, because their behavior escalated from online threats. Uh, regardless, 
poorly written. <laughs> I'll also say the climax of Mazes and Monsters, I believe, takes place atop the World Trade Center, uh, where they where his friends have to talk him down from jumping because he's in. He believes uh, he can fly. Well, he believes he has spells. Yeah. So <laughs> his friends try to engage him in his narrative uh and he and by convincing him not to jump because he's not high enough level to fly or whatever and then he just goes i have spells <laughs> so that's the best thing i've ever heard in my entire life yeah which weirdly enough this episode mirrors that at the end A where the police corner the gamers um on top of a roof yeah and at one point, someone's, like, about to shoot one of the cops, and they're like, it's just like a video game. Well, the cop prompts him to say, or prompts them with, it's not like a video game. And then Logan Paul goes, what are you talking about? It's exactly like a video game. Cut to, uh, what's the word, GoPro footage of essentially a, an actual FPS point of view, which I think would have to be on what your, like, lower your chest, neck, yeah. your chest, uh, from Logan Paul's perspective. Which is an absolutely bizarre yes. choice. Which, because it shows it is, in fact, yes. just like a video so, game. So, yeah, the the problem with that is that they're obviously, you know, saying, okay, this guy has, is, you know, not well mentally. He's viewing his life as a game, right? Yeah. The, however, this mechanism is reused when Ice-T, notorious gamer in the in lore of SVU, comes around the corner and also has an FPS perspective. Yeah, and fires four shots at <laughs> Logan Paul. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he puts down Logan Paul, uh, who tries to shoot him first. So yeah, yeah. It had to be done. Yeah, that part I'm like, you know, I understand. It's a yeah. hostage situation. It's Logan Paul. <laughs> I do not, do not condone, do not condone violence on Logan Paul. Logan Paul seems like a perfectly fine human being. Yeah. Now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, like, super bizarre that it's like, it's not a video game. It is a video game. It's not a video game. Yeah. Oh, but it is. <laughs> so the, the ice tea thing was nice because it's not, they're not literally, video games make you, turn you into a violent homicide maniac because ice tea literally is like, I can tell the difference between video games and reality. Yeah. That's a good thesis. Maybe don't do the GoPro FPS camera on ice tea then. <laughs> yeah, it was very weird. Very strange. Oh, ice tea has another line where he says, uh, when, when asked why some gamers don't like women in gaming, he said, Oh, yeah. In their world, a developer is like God, and some aren't ready to give a woman that power. Which, I don't I don't even know if that's it, you know? <laughs> as a gamer, I don't view developers as gods. <laughs> I don't view developers as gods. I think that there is a perspective that women bring with them the, the spectrum of PC and their minds that makes something worse. Read The yeah. Last of Us 2, a good game that <laughs> Re- received good reviews yeah. that people hate because women. Yeah. Re-giving women the right to vote. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. Um, I will say the detectives, I was, I thought that their detective being was way better in this episode. I forgot about my favorite part of this episode, in which one of the perps' mothers, whose house the assault was filmed in the basement of, is brought in for questioning to try to find out where her son could be, and, or how, or, you know, like, what what's going on. And she lives on Staten Island. There is a detective... Who's on Staten, who, who's from Staten Island, and they have essentially a Staten Island off, and it was beautiful. <laughs> it was glorious. Yeah, they kept getting deeper and deeper into the accent. <laughs> yeah, before just the scene went on. These are the nice, light-hearted parts of the episode. It was really dark and difficult to watch at times. On multiple occasions, I was like, "This is like I have to turn away. Like this is way too much. Like they show you way too much of the assault." <laughs> Um, and the torture, and the general, you know, concept is incredibly dark. And the thesis was also strange because, um, at the end, at the end, one of the detectives is like, oh, you know, you're still gonna release your game? 
which is a wild thing to ask someone the day after they've been kidnapped <laughs> during their game release. And she says, no, the gamers won. I'm not going to release my game. Pretty much, you know, whole wholeheartedly, like word for word, essentially, the gamers won. Gaming is no place for women. Sucks to be this, me. Which, which was an absolutely bonkers thesis yeah. to end with. It especially made worse because her character earlier in the episode, after her employees attacked at the con, and she's getting all of these... She's now receiving all these credible threats, and she refuses to slow down, have proper security, or do anything about it, basically. So when it comes time for the the thing, that, or the symposium, whatever, the launch event that she gets kidnapped from, they hack into the sound and light system, play gunshot noises, flashing lights, and then she just like runs away and trusts a random security guard from the venue. However... Did you think about maybe, I don't know, treating the cops as your bodyguards, letting them take care of you, or hiring private security? Because all of these were options to you. She's a very wealthy developer. I, I just, I don't know. I don't, yeah. It felt very weird because she was such an, it, it felt like the, the arc was almost the breaking of her character, right? Yeah. Which um, was really dark to watch. It was really dark to watch. And, and in order to do that, they made her act really unreasonably, too, yeah. right? Like. It just, it just felt weird. And, by, and I also get that uh, a lot of that harassment is, like, kind of everyday. Yeah, For absolutely. a lot of women, so it's like, it, you can't... Would you say, it's everyday, bro? <laughs> you, so you, like, can't really take it seriously at a certain point, because if you did, then you would be living in terror your whole life. Yeah. Um, but also, at the same time, it's like, you should probably take it at least a little bit seriously in this uh, no, certain situation. Yeah, and I think if you are the number one target for alt-right gaming violence, right... Yeah. You should have security. I feel like that's not that's not crazy. And she is definitely presented as, as yeah. the number one hated woman in gaming. Another absolutely hilarious thing about this episode is how much it, the writers hate SWAT. They do, yes. She gets swatted, and Ice-T has nothing good to say about swatting. I don't think Olivia does either. Right? Yeah, they're just like, <laughs> they're like she could have died from yeah. this swatting. And it's yeah. like, oh, so the police even know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then the, the gamer's plot is to set up the developer, they joker her, her duct tape her hands to her gun and then have like audio playing of gunfire when the cops come in because they know that it SWAT will shoot her. Would murder her, right? And they almost do. Yeah. <laughs> Ice T literally has to get in their way and then go to her and get in, and prove that she's not a threat. And it's like, Jesus Christ. So not only does uh the do the writers hate the military. The military, they also hate SWAT. Yeah. They don't S- still propaganda. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so that's pretty much it. Um, one thing that I wanted to uh, really drive home about this episode was that the top rated review for this episode uh, on IMDb, like the featured review, uh, says that this episode was made by someone with no sense of the actual conflict that occurs on the internet. It is based entirely off of the coverage of most news networks. That is, the meaningless harassment of a few conniving women. The show actually does discuss that because the developer's fiance is also her primary source of capital, primary investor. And so they insult her and and call her derogatory terms because her primary source of capital is from the person who she, you know, she's in love with. Yeah. Um, so they literally discuss that and they discuss the, the premise that just because you're in a relationship with somebody doesn't mean that you can do business with them in gaming apparently, right? Yeah. And uh, something else I think is notable is that uh, what actually happens in this episode, unfortunately, mirrors almost exactly what happened to a woman whose name is Franco Rain. She's Italian, so I'm sorry if I pronounce it incorrectly. In the 70s, she wrote a feminist plays, 
and she was kidnapped and pretty insanely tortured and then abandoned in the park. And so, like, stuff like this does happen. They didn't even try to get her killed by SWAT. Yeah, they didn't even try to get her killed by SWAT. I'm sorry, that's a, hor- that's a <laughs> horrible joke for uh, to lighten the mood a little bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, but... So it's like, this stuff does happen, and a lot of the reviews are, this is so unrealistic. It clearly has no idea uh, what the gaming community is like. And it's like, no, I mean, rape threats, doxing, and death threats are pretty commonplace for for women in gaming. Um, And if you don't think that, then I'm sorry that you're (laughs) ill-informed or hiding under a rock. Um, And so I thought that this episode was important, but also at the same time didn't really end up covering it very well because of all like the weird you know like gamer translators and the end thesis and stuff like that so i didn't think that like the plot was what made it so uh, unfortunate i thought that the uh this kind of stuff around the plot was what was unappealing about the way that it tackled you know gamer day as a concept And it probably has a lot to do with how the show is produced, too, to have the, the storyline do one thing, and then the execution in the cinematography do another, right? Sort of like a Transformers movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So overall, I thought that it was a very difficult episode yeah, to watch, but okay. I thought it was better than the other episode. No, it, it, all, it really hit a different string, too, to, to have the assault happen during the course of the episode, too. Yeah. It's much more intense and involved, right? And not in a good way not for me, personally. Not in a good way, no, no. Absolutely not in a good way. Anyway, well, let's move on to a much lighter subject, which is to say to our third episode, <laughs> which is much darker. Um, this episode is 911, uh, season 7, episode 3. That's a 9.3 out 9. of 10. 9.3 out of 10. Wow. Yeah. This one could definitely is like the premise of a, of a mystery novel. Almost. Yeah. Um, it's really well executed. It's very well executed, yeah. I don't have a lot to say about it. Very dark. So essentially a 911 call is made uh, by apparently a child who is hungry in a dark room and has been abandoned as as it first is posited. The police are then unable to track her down. Throughout the entire episode, Detective Olivia Benson is the one who is treated as the personal contact this child. As they start to suspect that it might be a hoax, she's also the one who is still believing that this is 100% true and they need to stay on it. So they are unable to track her down based on the name that that she gives and her age, although they do kind of get kind of close. It's really weird. Um, they also, they try, they, they try based on her name, and then Ice-T ends up violating somebody's Fourth Amendment rights, so that was pretty <laughs> funny. <laughs> I double check that's the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> yeah. But then it's, nothing seems to make sense, because her phone keeps moving around, so they think it's like a prank, uh, a elaborate hoax, but they also keep getting evidence. Uh, it turns out, throughout the course of the episode, that she is a Honduran child victim of trafficking who was sold into slavery to a prolific child pornographer. Yep. Uh, yeah, like we said, that's dark. dark. Yeah, uh, and it's also sort of like immediately from my perspective as a viewer, obviously knowing that there's going to be a crime in this episode, it's very obvious what's going on. Yeah, right, or pretty early on because the child is hesitant to tell the whole truth to Detective Benson. She keeps talking about her dad. That's she keeps not talking about her dad. dad. That's not her dad, but her current dad. Right. Um, won't talk about her mom. Is very like gets cagey when she gets asked specific questions, right? It's like super clear to me that this child is a victim of abuse and yeah. doesn't want to be abused for answering the wrong questions the wrong way, right? But the SVU team is like, she must be lying. Yeah, the SVU <laughs> team, the, the the sex crimes team is like, what's this child doing? You know? Yeah, what does she mean? She has two dads. <laughs> um, so then. Based on the fact that they find out the the reason her calls are bouncing around is an elaborate piece of a virus, and the food place that she's able to give them early on in the episode, 
they realize, oh, there's a radio shop right across from where that burger joint burnt down. Uh, and then they go to that radio shop, find what they were looking for in like the basement, but don't find any evidence of her. There's also like a dramatic moment where the where her uh, kidnapper comes back, and then at the end of the phone, the terminus of the phone call is when her kidnapper gets back and talks to Detective Benson for a moment, and she says that they know where he is, which is a bluff and a lie, and then he says, "No, no, you don't." Uh, and Detective Benson kind of gets this child in a lot of issues because of it. Uh, anyway, I hadn't considered that. Yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. caused it might the not rest have been of the episode. Best idea, right? Because if. Yeah, it might not have been the best idea, because if that is true, then what does he to do but cover his tracks, which he tries to. Yeah. So they then are like, oh, radio equipment across from the burger place. Let's go to that place. They go there. She sees a guy that matches the description the child gave her of her kidnapper. And then they interrogate him, find mud on his boots, and find the child still alive, buried in the burger place's lot with a bunch of clothing as well. It was, so he tried to clean house, basically, and they see mud on his shoes. She also gets to kick his ass a little bit. Yeah. I think Ice-T does. He gets a few swings in there, too, which yeah. is pretty satisfying. Yeah. Uh, this guy's played by Peter Gregory from Silicon Valley, if you're familiar. <laughs> R.I.P. So, yeah, this is a very intense episode. Uh, there's also a, an episode, <laughs> or an, a part, when they realize that this is this child is the same as an unknown child that they've that has had online pornography discovered of her that Benson and Munch are going through trying to find any other shreds of evidence in that child porn and Munch makes a very funny line about uh to I don't remember who it is somebody it's, comes in yeah I actually don't remember who it is yeah I don't remember who it is uh somebody comes in and he says uh I can do my yeah, Munch impression <laughs> I don't remember what he sounds like so I was going to say detective come and pollute your soul with child porn my yeah. friend there's also a weird amount of like there's no actual child pornography in, in frame for anything, right? Because, of course, there's not. That would yeah. be illegal. However, there's, like, suggestive and thematic imagery of the child, which yeah, is just, like, like... Too much. Don't do that. Like, yeah. you don't need to do that, right? Yeah, like, she's on the bed, and, yeah. like, her clothes are partially ruffled or yeah, whatever, yeah, and she looks sad, gross. and it's like, oh, this was but, too like, much. The whole thing is that Detective Benson is the one that puts it together based on a photo they're able to get from the Honduran uh, uh, consulate of the child who is miss who is I think reported dead in Honduras, right? And then she's like, I know that child, and it's oh, it matches the Montreal child pornographer case, right? Yeah. The problem being rather than just be like a, a head on shot of Benson comparing these two photographs, they're like, No, you should see what the two photographs she's comparing are. And it's like, No, I shouldn't And a pile of the other photographs. A pile of the other photographs that Munch calls soul tarnishing. Yeah. <laughs> Soul polluting. Uh, soul polluting. Thank you. Uh, it's just it's just gross. I mean, the episode is really good, but yeah. Once again, it feels like the cinematographers are speaking a different language than the writers at times. So yeah, it was yeah, it was incredibly gripping. It was so it was dark. Really good, yeah. It like started, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna be writing down very little because I need to watch this episode. Yeah, like, yeah, I in. agree. I also wrote down very little because I was so like entranced in what was going on. Yeah. But like once again, I I could not so watch another episode after that. No, of it was. Not. It was way too much. They do save the child. Yeah, yeah. Although, they they unbury her. She looks into Detective Benson's eyes. Executive producer Dick Wolf. (laughs) That's it. That's the end of the episode. And it's like, you guys could do any more falling action than this. Like, anything. Like, any kind of emotional resolution. Because you've built the character between the child Maria and Detective Benson throughout the whole episode. That's the purpose. And then, no. They're not going to do that. Yeah. So... That's that episode. That's yeah. All I have to say about it. I mean, it was really good. Really yeah. good. But once again, I couldn't watch another second of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. 
I'll say so. I'll say this: two of the episodes we watched had no DA slash prosecutorial element to them, which I was kind of surprised by. It's sort of like Law and Order SVU is much more willing to abandon its premise apparently yeah. and become a cop show, just a cop show, mm-hmm. but still keep the elements that make it in my opinion, slightly worse than just other cop shows, right? I assume there are some episodes where it's like that, but on the DA side where they're doing a whole case for all of it and it's just a legal drama. I don't know why they're still unable to write good procedurals. They still feel like they're half, though. They don't feel like yeah. they're the whole thing. So uh, I have one more mini game. Okay. Um, so coming it. off of that incredibly yeah, dark three episodes. Dark right? pits and... Peaks and valleys, you know. Peaks and valleys, pits of despair. <laughs> we have shallow graves and burnt down burger joints. <laughs> exactly. We have once again two truths, one lie episode okay. descriptions. Can't wait. As you might imagine, uh, these are once again on a little bit of the darker side yeah. because we are talking about SVU. Um, but uh, I think that we made. I managed to one choose the ones that I didn't want to have to read the description of, and two that I thought were. Um, more interesting. So, here we are. Hopefully this is not too horrific. <laughs> Generally, for the premise, by the way, two of these are real, one I made up. Yep. Babies in backwater. When the skeletal remains of six infants are found outside a spa for wealthy women, Detective Rollins must use her pregnancy to infiltrate the spa and uncover any dark secrets. Glad you see Detective Rollins, I know who that is now. So. <laughs> okay, that's number one. Okay. Two. Baby killer. The tragic shooting death of a young girl leads investigators to a little boy. They soon realize that the gun used has been used in another crime scene. Three, gone baby gone. Emotions run high as the SVU squad searches frantically for Benson's missing son. Okay, so we did, so the third one's a little suspicious to me because one of the episodes, I think it was the Gamergate one. Yeah, it was the Gamergate one. The Gamergate one, one, uh, Benson is, starts out talking to her therapist, her family know. counselor, someone, <laughs> somebody, uh, about her recently adopted son, who it seems like she adopted from maybe somebody she arrested because she's very concerned about his future given his background. Um, so you could you could be sneaking in information that you got after because mm-hmm. I know that you re- you touched some of these up after we watched them. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have to go with Baby Killer. I don't think that sounds like a very interesting episode. <laughs> baby Killer. <laughs> Is an episode. Okay. The one I made up was Babies and Bathwater. Okay, okay. Well, um, six felt like the right number, so. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it had to be intense, right? Yeah. Um, the part, so I told you ahead of time that I actually had to edit You one could of make these. that a good episode, I think. Yeah, I thought so. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like you're breaking up some kind of weird legal, weird illegal. Like abortion Abortion thing. spa. I know abortion isn't illegal, but like, uh, in New York at least. Uh, but like, still, it could yeah. be interesting, right? Um, this is said infants rather than fetuses. Yeah. So. What I had to change um, was I originally had Detective Benson being pregnant mm-hmm. because I had seen the episode's description that she had yeah, a son. Yeah. But uh, then we watched the episode where the son was adopted and I was like, oh, yeah. I got to change that. I was I was a little suspicious on Detective Roland's pregnancy because I, you know, I, yeah. I'm not for sure that she ever got pregnant during the show. But, you know, it's the thing that happens. So. Yeah. So zero points for you on that. Zero points for me on that. Still a four. Next we have. The long arm of the witness. Carisi takes on a powerful judge when he inexplicably dismisses the rape case of a university student. The longest night of rain. Benson investigates a police officer's accusations of sexual assault. Captain Tucker's retirement party ends in tragedy. The last one. The long con. 
Finn and Phoebe discover that their oldest friend may not be who he seems when he is implicated in the death of a homeless teen. Okay, I don't know who any of those people are. No, Finn is Ice Teen. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And um, Benson is... Yeah, you, I, yeah, I, <laughs> I love you, Benson. Benson. Could you read me the second one again? I feel like I interpreted that one in the least. Benson investigates a police officer's accusations of sexual assault, Captain Tucker's retirement party, right. and some tragedy. I'm going to go with that one. That one being fake. Because mm-hmm. I don't think that they have two plots both revolving police officers. Uh, you are incorrect. <sighs> The fake one is the long con, where Finn and Phoebe discover that their oldest friend may not be who, not be who they see. <laughs> Who's their oldest friend? I don't know. I made uh, that okay. up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I see. You're right. You're right. You're right. But Finn and Phoebe get married in one of the episodes. Oh, okay. I don't know who Phoebe is, but... <laughs> Last one. Send in the clowns. The cops search for a masked man when a student vanishes during a field trip to New York City. Video killed the radio star. Benson investigates allegations against a popular radio personality. Rollins goes undercover when a shocking confession leads to another crime. Never gonna give you up. Finn must negotiate a hostage situation where a man in a fugue state is holding his own wife captive. Don's daughter gets accepted into college. Don's daughter getting accepted into college. I can't think of a more meaningless plot for a, for a, for a freaking procedural drama. Okay. Who's Don? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have to call it fake. I don't know. I don't think it's no fake. fake. I think that one's fake, yeah. That one is the fake one. Thank God. I, I know you got them off of the week of, or the IMDB page, but like still, it doesn't make me feel better about not knowing who Don is. <laughs> Which, who's, who's Don's actor? I don't know. It was in the other descriptions. I steal names. What I do is I read all the, the like a group of descriptions and then I steal names oh, from the other descriptions. <laughs> Oh, that's the captain? Yeah. Wait, I don't, here we go. <laughs> so you get one total point, so now you're up to one five point. points. Oh, to five points. Okay, I rounded out almost max points for one episode of trivia <laughs> out of two episodes. <laughs> I'm coming for you, kid. <laughs> After that beautiful mini game, where I'm feeling pretty good about my chances of beating you, <laughs> let's talk about our, our final thoughts about Law & Order SVU. So yeah, one of my biggest issues with the episodes we watched at least is that two of them were just just about the cops right there was no part that was anything prosecutorial which is just no sort law. of no no well, law to my order well, law and order is both right? yeah <laughs> we talked we talked about this in law and the law and order episode <laughs> um the problem in my mind is that they're not that good at doing just one thing, right? They're pretty good at doing both things together, but when it comes to it, no. Just the cop show. I can just watch a, just a cop show, right? You know, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that I thought it was very odd that for a show that is a Law & Order spinoff that they abandon the premise of Law & Order pretty And I quickly. never got to see B.D. Wong in any of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really interesting that they... Um, abandoned the concept yeah. so readily uh, and that apparently it worked for them yeah hey they sacrificed it to, to shove logan paul in there worked all right <laughs> i would say that the show was at its weakest it had both storylines not that it's bad to have both components but i think the way that it was executed i just made me feel like both parties were bad at their jobs right which was not something that i felt in any of the other episodes yeah that's, t- that's totally fair i also think the issue with that is that the the 
cop plot and the lawyer plot were completely distinct, effectively. Yeah. They were only happening tangential to one another. Yeah. And they were kind of pitted against each other. In we- really weird ways. Yeah. But it made them both look inept. Yeah. Which sure. is not super endearing to the characters. Yeah, and neither of them were inept, right? Ultimately. Well, well kind of. Kind of. <laughs> they both uh, equally did bad jobs. Yeah. But it didn't have to do with, like, malpractice. It was just kind of like, really didn't ask the person we were representing any information about uh, the rape. Like, that seems like a big uh, oof on your part. Yeah, no, for sure. And then also, like, when the kid goes missing, you know that there's someone behind him on the ATM cam, but you don't check the other angle of the ATM ATM cam until he's already dead. That was was (laughs) kind of an issue I had with with the 911 too thing too where it just felt like i've solved this crime already right? yeah like, they, <laughs> sorry they, technology exists <laughs> yeah they're they abandon they they get the burger lead super early on in the 911 call and then they just abandon it yeah. it's like this is the only concrete lead you have yeah what are you doing right it's clearly it's something close by right <laughs> yeah it was very weird um once again i felt like uh it was well done for the most part like the other than the median episode like i thought that the episodes were interesting i also felt they were horrific yeah for sure and far too real (laughs) for someone else that person i do not know right i'm not judging that person i'm just saying i don't know anyone that i think would enjoy just watch binging this show yeah and i think other shows are different like i don't know like criminal minds and most csi episodes for instance because they're always over the top yeah right um but law and order svu episodes are all very um focused in real life for the most part for sure. and is pretty dark like in in criminal minds and csi and stuff like that you rarely you know see the assault happen right and have to watch the victims overcome the aftermath of that assault and or the perpetrators actively get away with it in court yeah and it, you do see that in svu and it's not like empowering to me it's just depressing yeah i agree and distressing no there's some i feel like some one of one of the reasons cop shows feel so much like propaganda so frequently is that everything just works out for them in the end, usually. Unless it's a, a through line about one of their personal lives, right? Yeah. Or a two-parter. And, yeah, or a two-parter. And that, you know, is not representative of, of what happens. A lot of crimes, you know, basically know who, who who's done them, but they don't get convicted of it for whatever reason. Yeah. Which is, you know, or they don't know and they don't they care. They don't know and they don't care and then they convict somebody on it anyway, right? It's, yeah. It's, but the, the, that's sort of like a sitcom's return to form, right? That the fact that this crime will always be solved in 45 to an hour and a half, right? And that you can rely on that. And I don't think that Law & Order promises that, but it also promises that you might still have to see some fucked up shit anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're right. I, I agree that it doesn't promise resolution, but it does promise violence. nightmares. Yeah, it promises violence and nightmares that will haunt your dreams. <laughs> <sighs> So overall, I think it's a better show than Law & Order. I agree. But... I would happily binge Law & Order. I would not be able to binge this show. Yeah, I agree. So those are our overarching thoughts about um, Law & Order SBU. Yep. All right. Uh, That's pretty much it then, I guess. Stamped it. 7 out of 10. A a stampler. A stapler. A a stapler stample. A stapler. Ron Ron Stampler stapler. (laughs) Uh, relationship uh david boreanaz i think uh so next up we're going to tackle a few csis that i cover and i think after that we need a little soul cleansing uh so we'll, we'll look into what that'll that'll look like yeah uh, some some 
cleansing for our polluted souls. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yep. Thank you all so much, Thank and you. we'll see you next time. Yep, thanks for listening. Bye. Procedural generation. This has been Procedural Veneration. Thank you for listening. You can find us on Instagram at procedural.veneration or check out our other random projects at www.dank.pizza. And finally, a thank you to Jacob Petulis for our wonderful theme song. See you next time.